Welcome everybody to the first audio exclusive Your Mate Tom podcast with CG Kid, and uh, the only reason for this is because I forgot to record the video during our first conversation, which yeah pissed me off quite a bit. <laughs> but after ten minutes of venting, I'm like, why? Uh, I just came to the realization of, oh, you know, what? this could be a blessing in disguise, and it gives us an opportunity to you know, do, do another podcast. So we did, we did a second podcast. But this time, I had to wipe my hard drive clean and I lost everything. So we didn't even get audio for that one. So then we did a third podcast, which is out now. Uh, so I guess, you know, what is the lesson here? I don't know, but you guys get two podcasts out of it. But anyways, I'm sure you guys have heard of CG Kid and he's an awesome dude with a lot of cool stories and yeah, very inspiring, man. He's just a genuine dude who wants to help people with substance abuse. And I'm sure you guys are going to get a lot of value from listening to this podcast. And when you're done with this podcast, I would recommend listening to the second podcast we did together. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, go check out Patreon, get some exclusive content and uh, things like early access to these podcasts. But anyways, go check that out if you want or get some merch, uh, all the links will be in the description box and you can choose whatever way you want to support or if not at all or if you just want to share this podcast around with your friends that is also very much appreciated so anything helps but that's it guys i hope you enjoyed the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day catch you on the next one peace i'm really like careful with the whole youtube bullshit uh so anytime i talk about psychedelics I always like to kind of highlight the potential dangers, which a lot of it has to do with the legal status and not the drug itself, <laughs> but, yes. which is bullshit. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, YouTube's being a bunch of pussies. I, I got to be like kind of like on my game and, you know, there's a little paranoia. Yeah. But that's just so so I can post it to my channel. You know what I mean? Because I'm like just so paranoid <laughs> like with their shit. You do because you have to be like overly cautious with like the disclaimers and things like that and like overemphasize that you're not like promoting this stuff just so you don't yeah. get in trouble that's how i've kind of uh approached it anyway yeah i hate dude i hate that it went down man. it was like ptsd but i got everything going and i'm like trying to just focus on moving people somewhere else i'm like get people off this thing yeah because I, I just see yeah. i see it getting worse over time i don't see it getting better <laughs> yeah i don't know man like i try to be optimistic but then it's like it just keeps getting worse and they just getting more they're cracking down on more controversial content but i don't think it's like the people working at youtube i think it's like the algorithm and the bots that automatically That's flag saying. and remove stuff so, yeah and you know you know yeah. how much money that cost them to develop that implement it and then do all those appeals they aren't going to do it for a while i guarantee you it was like a thing of satisfier advertisers say we removed x amount of channels da 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 they ain't gonna spend another hundred million to do that shit again for a while. Nah. So I think we're we're good for a while. Because yeah, I was like, I, yeah. damn. I think this thing, was... this AI or whatever it is, this algorithm has like gone so advanced and progressed further than anyone can really understand. So I feel like everyone at YouTube is just playing catch up with the the big yeah. AI algorithm boss, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I don't AI, know what's going on. Yeah. I don't know why my strikes were evoked. Either they saw that I was on the news or they realized that, holy shit, like, we're going overboard. One of the two happened. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, we'll just get started anyway, but, like, how, yeah. um, that's so cool that you were on the news. you want to, like, get into that? Like, how did you, how did that happen? Uh, 
uh, happened with Sherry uh, Garcia. She's a PR person, and she's the founder of Cornbread Hustle. And what they do is they help rehabilitate felons and get them into jobs uh, by teaching them entrepreneurism skills. So she has like a cause. Uh, you know, I help addicts. She helps felons. And then uh, whenever I made it to the front page of Reddit, since she's in PR, she used to do PR for Mark Cuban and things oh, like wow. that. And yeah, so she's she's a badass at PR. She was Big like, deal. holy. Yeah. So when she saw that, she's like, kind of like nobody, nobody fucks with my friend. And then the next the very next day, I'm getting called by uh, Channel 8 News to be on. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'm down to be on. Um, and then I was like, when? And they're like, in two hours. And I was like, oh, crap. Whoa. I was like at, at work and I worked full time. And I was like, I told my boss, I was like, I have a problem. He's like, what? And I'm like, I'm going to be on the news. And then I was like, I got to go. And he was like, oh, just have him come here. So then I'm sitting there at work and I work at a software development company and I, I do digital marketing. And uh, all right. so I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting. And then all these people with cameras come in and they're all like, where's where's Philip?" And it was just like, <laughs> it was the most awkward situation ever. That's so funny. Yeah. And then they're like, can we film you on your computer? And I was like, yeah, I just have to remove all client information. And then uh, they filmed me while all these like people were developing software all around me. And they're kind of looking over like, what's going on with this guy? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a crazy experience, uh, to say the least. Um, and then, you know, it, it went out and uh, and then it ended up getting picked up by a bunch of, uh, you know, national press like TubeFilter, TheFix.com and things like that. And I was glad. I was very grateful for uh, Sherry for what she did. And Kevin Reese, he was the reporter. I was very grateful that they're willing to report news that's somewhat positive. Yeah. Uh, because, was. yeah, usually it's like all this negative stuff. Someone died today. You know, this yeah. happened, that happened. Trump's an asshole. It's yeah. like, you know, that, that's like pretty much all they report. Mark that's Cuban's being accused of this. And I'm like, wow, actual positive story. So it had a, a pretty big impact. And I started getting a lot of messages as a result of it. Nice. And then your strikes got revoked after that, which you it was know, just was, weird. Right? Yeah. So it just one night I was like, oh, dude, I was so stressed out about that and pretty depressed because it, it took so long to build where I'm at. Uh, and I know it's been helping so many people uh, not just understand uh, addiction and drugs in general for drug education. It's not just helped with harm reduction, but like I put my number on all my videos. Uh, so literally I get a hundred texts a day and, um, you know, I help addicts, I inspire addicts to get oh. sober and I know it works cause I get follow-ups, all these follow-ups that, Hey man, you, uh, and I, I really don't help them as much as they think I do, but with addiction, outward symbols of inward desires to give up addiction or the high cost of low living, they're a big deal. Like, uh, someone could be contemplating to get sober for a year and just that action of actually going out and texting somebody, it's like an outward symbol of an inward desire. It might trigger them to a state where they're like, you know what? I've been thinking about it, but I actually did something for the first time in this year, which is text this guy. And that's yeah. all it takes. Yeah. And I talk to him as a friend I don't preach or lecture. I mean, I share my experience with them and somewhere I found strength. I'm not like a counselor. And uh, that that just is like a driving force of I need to do something to change. And then the videos, they watch the videos and they think, oh, it's cool. You know, this YouTuber took the time to text me back and it inspires them. So when they were going to take it down, I was like, man, dude, like, uh, like, honestly, my currency has been saving people's lives. So and you, you kind of get honestly high off of it. Uh, it, it feels great to uh, be able to help somebody. And it's like, you know, you whenever someone 
you know, you have a risk of that going away. You're like, how am I going to go on without that? Mm. Like, you know, you're kind of taking it for granted for so long that you're able to help so many people. Then the thought of it being taken away really makes you realize and appreciate what you had. And it puts you in this state of like panic, you know, and I still have like kind of like PTSD. I'll check my channel. I'll be like, oh, man, please no. Like you're still open up your inbox. <laughs> yeah, because I still have stuff out there that it does encourage drug use, but you never know with them because the, the videos they strike didn't either. I mean, and it, it seemed like I have a lot of videos on various substances, and uh, I go through pretty much all of them, and uh, the only ones that got striked were psychedelic-related. So yeah, I, I knew that. Yeah. yeah, none of the cocaine videos, the Xanax, the heroin videos got <laughs> striked. Just, I was like, why are they doing this to just psychedelics? Uh, so that it just it's been a big pain the pain in the ass to be honest. Yeah, I bet. Like how um, because you ended up like deleting your psychedelic related videos. You didn't just put it on private. Is that correct? Yeah, all yeah. except for the the two that are up there got strikes, and then I got the managed to get those appealed. And the only reason I deleted the psychedelic videos is that. Yes, they are di dangerous, and uh, some of that has to do with just the legal status. Like if you're caught, it's a felony, and uh, some people can't have psychological trauma; they shouldn't be using it. No, but it's yeah, hard. It's hard yeah. to just you know drill that in people's heads. So there. Whereas if I talk about cocaine, heroin, or meth, it's like a lot of it is how dangerous and bad it is. And even when I bring up the high, I, I say that. Bad things come in pretty packages. So right. the whole thing is it's not demonizing the substance, but it's it's letting people know that, yes, it feels this great. But once you feel that, you can never feel again. You have to be okay with that. Now, with psychedelics, it's kind of a different story uh, because yeah. psychedelics, they're a lot more benign. And uh, honestly, like not for everybody, for most – actually, a lot of people, this isn't the story. But in my story of recovery, ayahuasca triggered my decision to get sober. So in a way, I've been very grateful for the impact they had on my life. Yeah, and did but you do to it share in a that retreat setting, or sorry to cut you I off. did it. Yeah. I did it in a house setting, actually. Okay. Yeah, it was, and I was literally, uh, it was a bad idea. I totally should have done that retreat. Like, I didn't know what I was brewing. I didn't That's know I was I doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made it too strong, and I was like laying and vomit and crap for like. <laughs> I was like, but... why did I do this? But it triggered me. Yeah. And uh, what it it did in many ways. I mean, uh, for one, I saw the world in a different perspective. I saw my life in a different perspective. Mm. And if you're talking about a brain disease, well, our brain controls our perception. So you might as well call it illness of perception. Uh, I just don't see how you're going to solve an illness of perception without altering your perception. Yeah. And that's what it did. So like, you know, the day-to-day -day using to survive and get by and all the people I was hurting, that was just my normal life. That was my perception of reality. And I was okay with it because I was comfortable in it. Well, psychedelics made me step out of that box of perception and look at it as if I was a non-addict. Mm. So there's a very big bridge between addicts and non-addicts. My mom doesn't understand how I could smoke meth all the time. Mm. At the same time, I couldn't understand how she would buy a margarita at a restaurant and not finish it. I would be like, that's a waste of alcohol. <laughs> like, how could you do that? And it's like this, this bridge of perception. And what psychedelics did was made me see my addiction how my mom would see it. I was like, this doesn't make sense right, to me anymore. Right, lens, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it connects you kind of with back to your inner youth, and it kind of connects you with the divinity of life. It makes you appreciate your sanity to an extent, especially when you go that far out there to a oh, point yeah. when you come back. You're like, dude, I appreciate, like, sanity. I appreciate life. And it makes things astonishing. It restores that youth. So, like, 
you know, as an adult, I have to do like go to the gun range to have fun or do all these various things that are exciting me. But as a kid, I would just go outside and that was fun. And yeah. uh, I forgot that, you know, I, going outside, that's just what I do. I'm, I walk to my car and never look around at the sky or anything like that and say, wow, you know. But what psychedelics did is they uh, they triggered the astonishment factor in my brain and I was able to look at the sky for like I was a kid again. Like I was like I was astonished by it. So that restoration, I think, also, along with the perception alteration, made me learn to appreciate what I have sober. Right. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And yeah, what people don't realize about the profoundness of psychedelics, it's not necessarily the trip itself. It's how it alters your perception afterwards and how you carry that new awareness in your everyday life. Like you're saying mm -hmm. as well, like, you know, I never, like, as a kid, you can just go outside, play these imaginary games and have the time of your life and then as you grow older it's like you kind of forget about all that kind of shit and then yeah. after, you know it's, same thing happened after like a mushroom trip like i'd go i'd have this profound trip and be connected with nature and see myself in the whole in this new light yada 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 but like afterwards i could see myself actually appreciating nature and looking at i'm just looking at like trees right now i like looking <laughs> at trees and the sky and like the atmosphere and like really being more mindful with it but of course you know it's not about taking a psychedelic trip and magically changing your life forever you really got to do the work afterwards and like you said it's yeah. not for everybody and psychedelics isn't it works very different to other drugs in the sense that you really don't know what it's going to give you like the experience and it's very so much even within each individual like you'll never have the same trip twice ever yeah and because it, it like kind of projects your state of consciousness and what we don't we just don't know anything about psychedelics there is like we know next to nothing about the nature of consciousness and even less about psychedelics we just yeah. know that they can catalyze certain experiences but that's about as far as we know and like you said yeah. like, you know talking about psychedelics on your channel it's like it's different because psychedelics i mean yeah they can produce horrific experience or profound positive transformative experiences Whereas with mm -hmm. cocaine or crystal meth, it's usually like, yeah, if you do this, you're generally going to have this experience and it's probably not going to be good for you. Whereas psychedelics, it's like so polarizing and different yeah. for everybody. So, yeah. There's such a like big negative stigma around drug use in general. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something I'm trying to break through with Shameless Protocol. Like I even say on my video, like our mantra is kind of like fuck the stigma. Like yeah. forget about it. Yeah. Like because the stigma is keeping addicts in their shell. It's keeping people from reaching out. It's, yeah. you know, it's making matters just so much worse. So that's why I came out and I'm like, I'm going to just speak in a shameless way and just say exactly what it was like. And it resonated oh, with yeah. people. Now, when I get with psychedelics. Uh, they honestly are in their own class and they, yeah. they have the same negative stigma as everything else, but it's not deserving of that negative stigma. And that's where I get like really aggravated with things. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't earn that negative stigma. And I, I got really mad because I'm like, this has been in religious practices for thousands of years. Like, this is not something new. This is not like we invented this. It's not like we just all of a sudden decided we're going to do this. Yeah, they could but be we're, we're, humans. Like, you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was like, where is the freedom of religion? And like, if that's how I find spirituality, and that's all religion is, is a means to find your own spirituality, and all religions are so different, Yeah. then where the hell is the freedom of religion? And where, why the hell does this negative stigma exist? If someone finds their spirituality through that substance, 
I mean, I I understand over the counter maybe not the best solution, but why the hell isn't there ceremonies in America, places you can go to practice your religion? And that's yeah. where I get like just really pissed off. Yeah, like they should be integrated in our culture in the sense of, like you said, like not go to just any Seven Eleven and pick up some ayahuasca, but more go to a center where there's like these facilitators and trained practitioners to help you through this experience like you know what i mean like that would be yeah. more ideal yeah and i mean i think it, it just violates freedom of religion and with ibogaine that's the one that baffles me the most because uh yeah. that was one of the videos i took down just because it, it's so messed up you know and i don't i hate being censored i hate being in a state of paranoia but yeah. ibogaine i had a podcast with the guy who basically said he it can kill you uh ibogaine can be lethal and it, when you take it it's very unpleasant at first yeah. But uh, he basically, when he came out of Ibogaine, um, he he basically had no heroin detox at all. Mm. And we're in the midst of the heroin epidemic. Millions of people are dying all the time. It's insane, dude. And it's yeah. like, why is Ibogaine not allowed medicinally? It's a Schedule 1. It's like you get to a point where it's like, why doesn't the government just come out and say this is population control or they might as well just say that to me. And now the public doesn't see that because they don't know what Ibogaine is. They don't understand it. For, but for me, it's like you've literally by making an Ibogaine a schedule one, you've literally said we don't care about these people dying. If there's something that yeah. can cure heroin dependency, but we can't have it unless we fly to Mexico. I mean, yeah. what the hell is wrong with this society we're living in? You oh, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like ayahuasca you know what i mean like not everyone has the opportunity or the funds to fly to peru and go to a retreat but it's not cheap you know so yeah, yeah it's kind of like uh yeah, i don't know man what do we do about this <laughs> yeah i know and it's it's hard to even like stand up and say anything because now they're trying to censor us out and yeah I, exactly because uh... you've got to do it in like this well i look at it as doing it in this um balanced approach because you've got to look out for yourself as well you know what I mean? I mean, of course, yeah. you want to help, try and help serve humanity and reduce the stigma and all that kind of stuff, but you don't want to go too far that you kind of hurt yourself in the process of getting exactly. in trouble. Like, actually, not that long ago, one guy in New South Wales, Australia, got arrested and for he got sentenced 25 years prison time for a small amount of mushrooms possession. That That's ridiculous. This is in this day and age. Right, so he spent yeah. like a few weeks in different prisons. Even spent time in like a maximum detention center, and the the uh, penalty is even harsher than holding heroin, meth, rape, murder, all this kind of shit for like holding mushrooms. But, and yeah, it's fucked up. It's still happening. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, and a Hold lot of the mind. dangerous, the a lot of the dangers with these substances revolve around the legal status. Like that's the biggest danger. Yeah that i see out there there's psychological trauma and latent mental disorders of but course. even if you respect the substance and you go into the right mindset you're doing it for spirituality there's the danger of you're going to go to prison for a very long time yeah. so it's that's where a lot of the danger comes in so in my videos i kind of looked at it and said you know maybe i'm maybe like i had a trip report on uh TMD. I'm just saying it that way because <laughs> okay. I know that's what they're going after the most. Uh, but you know, in the end, Dimitri. I did refer. I uh, <laughs> our friend Dimitri. Yeah, and then uh, at the end, I did say um, when I came out of the breakthrough, it was awestruck euphoria, and uh, it was recognition of an afterlife. 
And uh, I couldn't even talk because, like, it was just astonishment, pure astonishment. So I said, yeah. Death by I said to myself, that's what McKenna called it. Yeah. Yeah. I said to myself, I'm not intending to encourage, but maybe, like, using words like awestruck euphoria hmm. along with that substance could, you know, hit someone the wrong way. And then, you know, I'm, I, I'm to an extent, I don't really, I believe adults have, are, we make our own decisions. I think the age restriction is fine. Like I'm totally cool yeah, with me that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like age restrict my channel for all I care. Like because adults, but it's like, I get it to where like, if somehow a, you know, 15 year old who processes decision-making with their amygdala or like the emotional cortex of their brain might see that and be like, I want to be like CG kid. He's cool. He's a famous YouTuber. I want to try this thing. Exactly. And then something bad happened. That's where I started yeah. to feel remorse of how I approached my channel at the start. So I went through like a massive transition in how I talk about these subjects because I'm a, I believe full heartedly that psychedelics are incredibly profound and can transform your life forever if you take set and setting into great blah, blah, blah. But it's like you said, you know, what happens if a kid watches your videos and then has that emotional need to kind of want to explore themselves and i am a firm mm. believer that if you're a kid you don't need psychedelics like you really don't like it's, yeah definitely you know what i mean you're in a psychedelic state anyway because you're a freaking kid it's like you don't you're exactly like, you really really don't need it and you've got to be careful because like when you're a kid you don't have like the mental emotional spiritual foundation to really embody and understand that experience and fully integrate it and you've only got you can only have like you only have a first time once meaning that like your first psychedelic experience is probably going to be your most profound assuming that you take this you know enough of a dose so it's probably best to wait until a certain age like I, like if i could go back in time i i would have even waited a little bit later but i don't know i, I think it can be it's like rolling a die, I think. Like, take having a heavy trip when you're a kid. Some people will mm -hmm. say, like, yeah, I had acid when I was 15 and it changed my life because of this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, it, sure, it could. But if you waited, I bet you you could have had an even more profound experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And probably and it's, integrated it's, it's, it better. Yeah. It's, it's risky because if they have, you know, I know we call all them difficult experiences and we say they're the most rewarding of all of them. And I agree with that. To a certain but a extent. Kid, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, I've but, met but a, kid, a lot yeah. of people who have gotten their life completely fucking ruined by psychedelics. Yes, exactly. Like, and I think that is a depressed. Like, exactly. No going back. Yeah. As like, adults, we could kind of rebound from that thing. I mean, we can go to like therapy we can reach out about it more but yeah. as a kid i don't know if the rebound happens as fast i think that it could last long it just makes sense to me as a kid it will affect him longer yeah so then yeah. i get to a point where i was like you know forget where youtube draws the line i don't care i want to make sure i stand beside every video yeah. i have out yeah. there and uh you know if they take my channel down at least i know i went through and i said this is where i draw the line this is the newfound line that i draw and i saw what they did as a wake-up call they come down and take take out my channel tomorrow. I'll say at least they took me out for everything I knew I stood beside, and I actually sat there and consciously thought, with all this in mind, do I really hundred percent stand behind this video? You know what I mean? And uh, that was an important thing for me because now it feels a lot more empowered uh, by you know just my my values are behind the channel so much that if anything happens, at least I know I stand beside it. Exactly, you're aligned with your core values, and so no matter what, you'll always have yeah. that thing that kind of pushes you forward 
and that like it's it's, it's worth it, you know. Yeah, Especially exactly. How, and like you said, you know, helping people is that's like the greatest drug of them all. I think it's so cliche, yeah. and I can't believe I said that, but it's so true. Like that yeah. satisfaction you get of like really helping someone. Yeah. And you, it's not even like you don't need to do anything special really to help people. It's just just do you, you know what I mean? Like just be vulnerable and talk about your experiences in a way that can hopefully give people insights that can. I don't know, because some people might go through a really, really tough time and then they, let's say they watch a, your, one of your YouTube videos and you articulate a certain thing that they've been going through but they haven't really consciously thought of and then it's like, ah, oh, they have that aha moment and it can yeah. be very, very uh, helpful for sure. Yeah, people are under the assumption that we're alone in this world. So when I make a video about no. bullying and I go into detail about being bullied and like what it was like, mm. they're like, holy crap. That was me. I just never said it to anybody. But at least I know I'm not alone anymore. And it's the same with addiction or any other video yeah. that I have. Because when I started the channel, I was looking at these people who do videos about, you know, dangerous substances like meth and heroin. And I was yeah. like, it's so like buttoned up collar. Yeah, I'm going to tell you some things, but I'm going to protect my ego. Yeah. Then I came out and I'm like, dude, this is this. I did this. I did this horrific thing. This is what it was like. And then, you know, it's it's a way to say I'm not alone. Yeah. And then if they see it, you've been sober five years. Well, if he is going through the same thing as me, then maybe I can go through the same thing as him and get re recovery. I love it. It's been unapo being unapologetically yourself. Yeah, exactly. Be brutally honest. Yeah, it's, Hell it's yeah. amazing because like, you know, everyone, no, I don't want to say everyone, but most people, no, everyone, even including us, we have a mask on to a certain extent, but it's like we, a lot of the times, especially growing up, I don't know um, if it's the same with you, but it's like, you look at all these people and you're like, oh, these guys look like they have it all together. Oh, he looks happy. He looks this. He looks that. But it's like, everyone goes through their shit behind closed doors. You know what I mean? Everyone has their demons that most people don't really talk about so it's yeah. important to know that we are all human in every sense of the word everyone goes through shit everyone has their vulnerabilities everyone has their fears and yeah, yeah we're not alone like we really aren't alone and whatever you're yeah. going through there's at least someone there in this world that has probably gone through the exact same thing as well and yeah. overcome it that's why hope is so important because like when you fall yeah. into despair and it's like in hopelessness i'm sure you've experience this where it's like fuck what's the point the walls feel like they're closing in on you the world's fucked you know they're you know this is all meaningless blah 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 but once you find that hope and that meaning and that purpose in your life it really it can be really practical to kind of push you forward and help others along the way which gives you even more meaning and then it creates like this abundant reality for yourself that yeah. you didn't think was possible yeah and that's like a big thing with my brand is coming out and saying really screw the stigma. The stigma is holding us back. The war on drugs has been an epic failure beyond <laughs> like epic we literally, failure, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, the heroin epidemic is just a sign, but it really, we're in the drug epidemic. I mean, it's unbelievable. I have texts from people saying that their nine-year-old kid is prescribed Adderall and their video made them worried. Yeah, and this is frequent. Nine, eight-year-olds being prescribed Adderall. And I'm like, Jesus. this is really gone to shit. <laughs> and uh, the reason that the war on drugs has gone to shit is that it's not focusing enough on the underlying issues that cause adolescents to use drugs. Like, no. there's also this this shame. The negative stigma comes from drug addiction is a choice. You chose to do that. Yes, it's a choice by definition. However, 
uh, choices are heavily influenced when you're a minor by your environment. So that's why statutory rape laws exist. That's why, uh, you know, minors are tried differently as adults because it's recognized on a federal level that minors process decisions different than adults. You'd be really hard pressed to find an addict that was 25 years old with a fully developed frontal cortex that never drank or did a drug and said, you know what? I'm going to up and try drugs today. Uh, most addicts start when they are minors, 16, 17, 18, and that inhibits the frontal cortex from developing and it carries on into their adulthood and it causes the the structure and function abnormal abnormalities in the brain that is associated with addiction. Hmm. So yes, addiction is a choice, but it happens at a young age typically. Uh, should they be ashamed for it? No, not at all. But the problem with the war on drugs is why are these people using the drugs at 16, 17, 18? And a lot of it comes down to their environment. So things like being bullied, uh, that's a big thing that needs to have more emphasis on. And uh, even these anti-bullying campaigns, I can't stand them because they're focusing more on the bully and not showing the bullied that they're loved and they're not alone. That's why I come out with videos about that, to let them know they're not alone. I've been exactly there and I am where I'm at and I can look back at it as a nightmare, but it was temporary. Right. Uh, that's and one thing. Our bullies is in a lot of freaking pain, hence why they want to project that. To other people. Yeah. Well. Not saying that they, we should give them a path, but just understand or have empathy as well. Exactly. And, people. Yeah. And there's other other things like you know my parents divorced, they refused to co-parent. So and that happens commonly in divorce. Like ideally, if parents got divorced, they would say, "Me and your mom are having issues. It's not working out. We still love you. We're going to work together to raise you as kids." The end. I don't care to know the details as an adult. But as a kid, I was told the details. Your mother did this. Your father did that. I didn't need to know that. Okay. So like that, that causes this thing. If I hate mom, dad loves me more. If I hate dad, mom loves me more. Mm. Does this make sense? So it gets into this thing yeah. where you feel like you're an emotional spouse for your parents. And then, uh, you know, these are things that contribute and influence that decision, not having friends wanting to fit in, you know, having this emo weird disconnection with your parents and, uh, yeah, at a young age, I would do anything to fit in. So I tried substances. But it's like the government, instead of what they're doing is they're like, let's make the the heroin harder to get. Let's make stuff harder to get. That's how like crocodile and research chemicals get into the country, exactly. first of all. You're never going to stop you it. You chop the head uh, off but what, 10 more, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like they're cutting weeds at the surface and they're not getting down to the root. Like what yeah. is triggering these adolescents to use drugs in the first place? And our energies aren't going into that. Instead, we're basically paying taxes and that money's going back into the cartel's pocket. Mm -hmm. And marijuana being illegal in 2018 just makes me want to lose my shit, to be honest. It's like crazy, yeah? Oh, uh, oh I mean, I'm sorry, but marijuana is not a gateway drug. It's a gateway law. That's it. No. I mean, the fact that it's illegal makes it a gate. Because essentially what happens is these kids have to go to drug dealers to get marijuana. Yeah. And uh, if, it, if it was legal, I would ask older brother, cousin. It's not as yeah. taboo. They were, and you know what you're getting? I gotta... Because that's the thing. Like, you know, I, like, I live in Australia where obviously it's illegal here. And the weed that you pick up is always going to be different from each person. You don't know the strain. Every Maybe on a rare occasion you might have like yeah. a Snoop Dogg level dealer and he knows all the shit that he's getting. But <laughs> all of us aren't that lucky. So generally speaking, you're getting weed that you don't know what the strain is, you don't know what the type is, whether it's sativa or indica, which is going to affect your personality uniquely. Some people spray their plants with chemicals so it weighs more, so then now you're smoking this God knows what, 
and just shit like that. And that's where uh, prohibition can really make drugs even more dangerous because you're not actually getting marijuana. You're getting marijuana with X. I don't know. I don't even know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it introduces kids to the illegal drug scene. And uh, kids, you know, That's they, when they're thinking about their amygdala, it, things arouse curiosity. And, um, you know, if they can get marijuana and they can get all these other drugs, it, it has that door open to them. If it was yeah. legal, they'd just go to older brother. But the problem is, if you get put on probation, well, marijuana stays in your system for 30 days. That's where the K2 came out. Okay, here's a way to pass drug a drug test. It's like 50 times, a That's million fun. times more dangerous. That's one of the but, most harmful drugs I can think of. Like I've it, known people yeah. who have gone their life like ruined, lost families, homeless, addic addiction, psychosis from legal weed. Yeah, and you it's, know, it's like, crazy. What? Yeah. And so did marijuana lead him to do that or did the law make him do that? And that's where it comes down to that. And uh, cocaine doesn't stay in your system as long. And, you know, kids aren't thinking smart. Like we're like, well, you should just do nothing. But on, on the other side of the coin, we have to take into assumption why the hell is pot still illegal? I mean, like why? Yeah. And there's not really one good – if the government came out with a solid statement backed up by evidence in neuroscience, I would say – Okay, but they can't and they won't and it, it just doesn't make any sense. So I get really pissed off with that and that's just something like that I'm pushing towards. Oh, yeah, and, and the fact that they like separate alcohol as like a non-drug. Even the fact that we say drugs and alcohol, like alcohol isn't a drug or like, you know, that, that gets a pass. Like alcoholics get more empathy versus mm -hmm. like a heroin junkie. Even the language yeah. is completely different. Yeah. Like, you know, we call them alcoholic. We don't call them an alcohol junkie it's a different term but yeah alcohol is you know exactly and like i know you talk about this a lot but it's like drug addiction isn't necessarily addiction to the substance itself but it's more like addicted to the feeling that you get from that substance which you don't get in your everyday life and it, exactly and which i think at the core many of the times it goes down to like disconnection you know what i mean yeah i feel love and connected something that's exactly it and you know with marijuana being illegal it's a it's communicating to the youth and to the public that if you're going to do this you might as well do xyz yeah you know yeah. with the propaganda the propaganda effort is the dumbest thing in the world they're like if you take this psychedelic spire you'll turn into a cup of orange juice and be afraid if you t and then you know I, it's almost like so point. afraid of ellis like psychedelics growing up just because of like the stories that i heard like I heard and about, it's like, so stupid. yeah, I remember hearing about this. I think it's called the Smurf drug or whatever. I don't even know what it is, but it's like apparently you take it and then you think you're tiny. So if you're like walking on the pavement, you can feel like you're gonna fall in the crack, like oh, of, the, of the walkway or something like that. <laughs> it's so stupid because yeah. it's it's not backed by any neuroscience whatsoever like if you actually go to british medicine journal um and you look through neurology and you look at neuroscience like drug education as far as the schools are concerned would be so much more effective if they use neuroscience because then they're backing it with evidence whereas i'm put as a kid i was put in a situation of do i trust my teacher that i'll turn into a cup of orange juice or my friend beside me who took a psychedelic 10 times and he's still ace in his class yeah you know they show this is your brain on this is your brain on ecstasy. It looks like a couple 22 rounds went off in it within a four-hour period. <laughs> Homeboy over there, he took ecstasy a week ago, and he's fine. You know, he's chill. He's right. making A's in it. So what and do I trust? like a mistrust, right? 
with the government yeah. and then no matter what they say you're not going to believe it because like oh, hang on you said this certain thing about this substance and that turned out to be complete bullshit and now it's like yeah, yeah. It loses that trust yeah then when you get to the things that there are no safe practices that are actually dangerous which i label them off as uh xanax heroin meth right those are the ones that are ghb is another big one well, when you get to those, it's like you've already lost all your trust with the students and uh, they've learned to trust their friends over you because you're like a parrot reciting mm. what you've been told. Uh, well, at that point, it kind of all just blends together. And these teachers, like they might have something that is meaningful to the class. There's teachers that had a past with alcoholism, addiction, whatever, and they could share that intimate conversation with the class, but they're not allowed to. Why? Because of the stupid stigma that we have. Yeah, yeah. So kids exactly. just feel like a parrot is talking to them and not an actual person who's walked the path and been there and could share their story and do a Q&A. And, I, I, you know, reformation of high schools and uh, how they do things is it's a dream. You know, most likely it's never going to happen. I approached high schools and I was talking about why don't they have a substance abuse counselor on staff if, you know, there's so much drug use. And only one high school actually responded to me, and they just simply said that we don't want that stigma associated with our school. We don't want people to think drug users go here. And you know what I mean? I was like, that is so fucking stupid. Like, I care too much of what the other schools think of us. That's really what I care. Yeah, that <laughs> is what it is. But, but to make yeah, a reformation like well, that. Because, like, you yeah. know, let's say if you're in a well-respected community and you don't want to get judged by your peers because like if you share something it might cost you your job so like i'm not saying it out of judgment i can completely understand why people don't want to speak out it's like a cultural yeah thing, you know it just sucks and that's where my push is and kind yeah. of my move and then you know psychedelics played a they played a uh not for everybody but they played a positive role in my self-transformation which you know i shared about and you know, that's like uh, they really opened my eye and changed my life in a positive way. I was like, it's not like that for everybody, but for me, it certainly was. Mm. And uh, you were saying that your first trip is your most profound. I'd have to agree with you on that one. I'm actually curious. If you have like, a subsequent it, dose, because obviously, if, yeah, because <laughs> you can yeah, have the first yeah. experience, but it's like, oh, you didn't really take enough. That doesn't really count. I mean, like your first, yeah. holy shit experience yeah yeah but see but see also like i kind of conditioned myself to psychedelics so the first experience i had was like it was two and a half grams of shrooms right and i wasn't conditioned to the experience now looking back that was a lighter experience yeah but when it hit me i was like holy crap holy shit and then one day yeah, yeah yeah later on i was on a quarter of shrooms and i was totally flipping out like I was walking to the bathroom and there was like this dimension going on that way, this going yeah. on that way. There's a guy coming out of the walls talking to me and I'm crawling on the floor. And I just stopped there for a second because I was calm throughout the experience. I was like, how the hell am I handling this? I, like normal, any sane person would call 911 immediately. Yeah. But I was like, I kind of conditioned myself and raised myself up to that level. Yeah, yeah. But the first like, time you know, I felt okay. psychedelic, yeah. yeah, first time I felt psychedelics, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was just a, uh, it was a crazy experience. It was one of the more life-changing experiences I ever had because it just opened my mind to something I never knew existed. It's a, uh, you know, narcotics they tend to suppress your mind's capabilities, whereas psychedelics show you what your mind's capable of. It's like the complete opposite of each other. Uh, I didn't know that my mind was capable of producing something like that, and to this day it still baffles me, especially with breakthroughs on certain substances. I'm like, how does your mind? 
even begin to create that or manifest it if you can't even comprehend it. I know. And that's where I go back to, um, like, like, we have no idea what the hell these substances are because it's like, yes, on one stage, on one aspect, it's like they open this up to our unconscious and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that's it. I think there's something a lot more strange going on, something a lot more deeper that we can't fully comprehend. I think that's just the tip yeah. of the iceberg. Yeah, and uh, that I used to like theoretically, and I was kind of foolish in my ways with uh, Dimitri because uh, I was like kind of like a Rick Strassman without the proper medical setting, and right. um, I introduced roughly like fifty people to the substance, and yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff. One guy couldn't feel anything. I thought that was the weirdest. Even like hundred milligrams vapes, you know, through really? a vapor genie, vapor Nothing. genie, and everything. Not even a buzz in his head. I was like, what is wrong with you, you freak of nature? Yeah. Uh, and I, I have seen people break through quite a bit. And uh, I used to think it was taking us to an internal dimension that essentially we manifest inner beings in an inner environment that we've never seen. And it's yeah. because the brain is so massive. Uh, but then I started to say, like, things happened. And I was like, okay, it made me question everything. Because one guy, when he broke through, and I don't know if you've ever seen someone break through, but you literally see, like, them shut down it starts up here it moves pretty fast but it's like a wave and then their eyes just go blank their eyes are blank and you know that they're gone well as soon as this wave went through a guy we were in a hotel and there was other people there and uh as soon as that happened the lights went off and the whole place and i was like okay like what the fuck's going i i've also seen people speak in tongues or some kind of language I never knew in a breakthrough. Yeah. And that's a, one guy uh, in particular, he was cured of colorblindness. He had his whole life. And uh, yeah. someone said, oh, it could have been neuros firing a certain way. But I'm like, it made me question things. It made me say maybe, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I actually like push away from that thing as hard as I can. Anything conspiracy-ish sounding, I'm like push away. But I was like, what if this is actually taking people somewhere? <laughs> I was like, actually kind of terrified me. Yeah. Because, like, maybe some of these experiences tap us into, like, the collective unconscious, right, which is tethered to all human beings. Or maybe it takes you to a completely alien dimension if you take enough. I don't know. Yeah. We just don't yeah, someone, know. There was like, someone you, in this. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, because, like, um, you know, you said the first time you took mushrooms was 2.5 grams and you took a lighter dose, but you still kind of, like, lost your shit in, like, not a bad way. But yeah. I found that the same with me, how it's, like, I get... Like, right now, I'm more sensitive to drugs than I was when I began. And it's, yeah. it's really weird. I don't know. It's like with psychedelics, even though I don't personally explore them anymore. But if I were to, I could take, like, a very small mushroom dose and probably get to the same state as I did with, like, a heroic, you know, five-gram dose, which is interesting. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it, it just works so differently to other classes of drugs. Yeah, it, it's interesting. There really is no tolerance to them. And if you think there is, you're going to be a, hopefully pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, hopefully pleasantly surprised. Or you get soul As soon as it kicks in, you hold on your ass. <laughs> yeah. Someone uh, in uh, the spirit molecule, I wish I could remember her name, but she said that maybe psychedelics essentially are like our brains are kind of like a radio and it's tuned into a certain frequency. Yeah. Or psychedelics, say, like tunes it into another one. And I just thought that was the most beautiful way to describe like a possibility i was like okay that that seems somewhat valid to me yeah maybe you're not leaving your body or just tuning into this frequency to see something that was always there you just weren't tuned into it or couldn't see it yeah i 100 percent resonate with that analogy 
Because I think yeah. that there's a part of ourselves that definitely transcends this reality. I mean, like, yeah, we have this ego and this meat suit, but I believe that once we die, it's like, uh, that's not the end of the road, you know? Because everything, even if you look at, like, on a quantum physics level, everything is literally interconnected, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like we just want to separate ourselves. Like, this reality mm -hmm. isn't, a, isn't an illusion. The separateness of this reality is the illusion. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. ego. The ego. ego but we need the ego because it's like a social interface that helps us navigate through this society. So it's like, yeah. it's good not to, it's, it's more about having a healthy relationship with the ego, loving the ego, mm -hmm. and being kind of vigilant and self-critical, but not trying to dissolve and kill the ego. Because if you kill the ego, then it just comes back stronger. Right? It's like when you like work out and you lift heavy weights, you're ripping your muscles, so now your muscles are like, fuck, fuck, Tom's put me under pretty heavy load. I'm going to have to come back stronger for the next time so I can handle the next load. And that's what happens yeah. in spirituality. If you go too extreme on the other side of the Yeah, hurt yourself. <laughs> your you ego, hurt yeah, yourself. so if you kill your ego too much, and if you're not careful, it's going to sneak back up, but even stronger than before. And a lot of people have no idea. It's a term called spiritual bypassing, which is very fascinating. And this is something that I fell into. Like, I had a big spiritual ego and thought I was being enlightened and getting healed, but it was like, uh, not really. My ego was just using these spiritual practices as a form of escapism. You go just trick the motherfucker, Ooh. man. You gotta be careful. Dude, I, I fucking love that shit, man. I never heard it praised like that before. <laughs> that's just that's shit's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah well, it's like um, in, in Buddhism they call it the the middle path or the eightfold path, where it's like to the stage of enlightenment. You don't want to go too extremes. Like one extreme is pursuing happiness through like sensory pleasures, like you know, sex, food, drugs. You know, having this mm. highly joyous experience, and then the other extreme is like doing spiritual practices and, and having abstinence, like, you know, 40-day silent meditation retreat, psychedelics, Wim Hof breathing, like, going to monasteries and stuff like that. And then that's another extreme because, like, you're escaping from this society and don't want to be a part of it. But that's ego as well. So it's like you got to try your best to be in a balanced kind of, like, take a more balanced approach. Because what I've learned anyway is, like, it's all about the subtleties of life and everything that you need like this physical reality is the divine reality and there is so much beauty and profoundness here since we just want to have these extreme experiences and i i'm a very extreme person and always have pushed the boundaries my entire life and it just took me many many painful lessons to finally learn this because like like yeah. i said if you go too extreme on either end whether it's sex drugs and rock and roll or psychedelics fasting meditation retreat and going too extreme into that then it's like you're gonna experience the blowback of that and then we forget yeah. about the simple things this is what jordan peterson talks about like you know cleaning your room uh stop hanging out with your shitty friends that are holding you back eat clean like just really simple things that we gotta mm -hmm. really work on before you go into the extreme spiritual stuff yeah, it makes perfect sense because even on my Dimitri, Dimitri breakthroughs, Dimitri. Uh, <laughs> what would happen is my ego would just be non-existent, totally gone, like yeah, yeah, dead, yeah. dead as a doornail. Uh, and then whenever I came back, it was like the Dimitri purged my ego. It literally purged it, threw it out of me. But when I came back, I immediately forgot the experience as if my brain was purging what caused the ego to die, mm. as if my brain was protecting me to a certain degree saying that, 
you need this thing to survive. You can't have all this information because you won't be able to survive. You'll be incapacitated. You will be like, you'll be out. You're supposed to be studying for class or working, and instead you're analyzing the fabrics underlying your desk of a new reality. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because sometimes it's not practical, or maybe some of the things that you're learning or the experiences that you're having is just far too, it's like really far in front of where you're at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I'll use the lifting weights analogy again. It's like being an an anorexic, uh, skinny person who's never lifted weights in their life and then they jump straight to like, you know, 300 pound bench press, you're going to fucking hurt yourself and you're not going to yeah. get those long term gains. So it's like you got to, there's a progress and everyone is at their stage of self development. And it doesn't mean better or worse, it's just different stages. That's all it is. Yeah. It. So I'm curious to hear more about like your story and stuff. Um, you said you went through like a transformation phase. I just want to learn more about it. <laughs> learn more about you and like, what was your first experience? <laughs> You're interviewing me now. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, man. Well, yeah. like, I don't want to go too much into it, not because I don't want to talk to, about it, but it's like uh, I've made plenty of videos about it, uh, yeah. and I'd love to. I want to talk to you about your story, but just I guess. My transformation process, well, it's always happening. You're always in a state of transformation if you let it. But it's like I've gone through two extremes of like addiction, depression, anxiety, intense social anxiety. Like, I don't know, like all this. I was in a really fucking dark place, had psychedelics. Oh, I transformed my life. Then I started eating healthy, meditating, started this YouTube channel. But then I went too far and extreme with the spiritual stuff, built this spiritual ego. And I was ignoring like the little things, right? Like really working yeah. on my relationships, cleaning my room, uh, making sure I get like enough sunlight every day, spending time in nature. Just again, really simple shit that our ego kind of thinks is not as important, but it's the most important because it's the little things that you do every day that creates this compound interest that gives you massive long-term gain. You know what I mean? Yeah. For example, like yeah. you're going to get a lot more out of meditating even if it's five minutes every single day for a year, then let's say one profound ayahuasca trip, I would say. Yeah. You know, but you obviously if you about do both then, and you integrate it and you use it together, then even better, uh, more power to you. But I'm just saying, it's like, it's really about the little tiny mundane, normal stuff that we like to sweep under the rug. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the spiritual ego because I, I went through that. You know, yeah, it's like uh, when I had my first mushroom trip, it was like, I'm Moses on the mountain. <laughs> I'm fucking about to bring down the Ten Commandments on the motherfucking world. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like you kind of go overboard with it. And uh, that's even found a lot in like religions. And I think that's like a huge turn off to them because they come out with this ego that we, our way is the right way. We know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually like the opposite of spirituality, which is mainly humility and being teachable and being able to learn. Yeah. And being empathetic and really simple shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it turns into dogma, right? Because like religion, I can't speak for all religion, but at least some of the big ones started off as like these pure, beautiful, profound thing. And then humans come in and fucking ruin it. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's what exactly. happened. And, and it happens with spirituality. It happened with psychedelics. There are a lot of dogmatic cult-like people who treat Terence McKenna as their prophet. You know what I mean? Like he was, oh, I'm not shitting God. on Terence McKenna. 
all I'm saying is like he doesn't have all the answers. He was like, you know, but not not no one does. That's the whole point. Yeah. Right. And then people yeah, think, I get exactly. Yeah, so what pe- you're I've met a lot of people who are like to me the equivalent of like religious nuts of the psychedelic world. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. very common, but it exists, and it and it happens. It exists across all communities, I believe. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not just limited to religion. Religion is just the oldest, so it's got like the most baggage to it. Exactly. Okay. Sorry, so my girlfriend just arrived. I I see it in the recovery scene way too frequently, and it's like even um you know, okay, I there's an eleventh tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous to maintain Im- anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Right. And uh, Brian Cuban, he's uh, he's Mark Cuban's brother. He's in recovery, and he oh, just really? like. I met with him and he was like, dude, the anonymity principle is so outdated. Like when Bill Wilson wrote that, it was 1939. AA had 100 members. <laughs> so now when he talked to me, I was like, you're right. You know, it opened my mind. And then people that text me when I bring up AA, they automatically think it's shit. So the anonymity principle exists in the sense if I say I'm an AA and I act like an asshole or I relapse, yeah. I make AA look bad as a whole. So people see me as AA. But the truth is, AA already looks bad to the masses. It really does. There's nothing I could say that makes it look any worse than it already does. So now I'm going to say I'm an AA or I was an AA heavily for like four years. And uh, there's a lot of that spiritual ego in, that, in those rooms. That's the number one turnoff in recovery is people go in and it's like you have to have a higher power. You have yeah. to believe in God. And then they say, oh, we're not religious. Uh, but the first thing they do is pray, and the last thing they do is pray, and it's biblical prayers. I'm like, this is totally religious. You yeah. know, I say this to say it's there. That's one of the bads with AA, but there's a ton of goods. You right. know, it's not to turn people off. Having that fellowship of like-minded people, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, there's some groups that have a bunch of old geezers that complain about their wives and their lives all day, and it's boring. But then there's some groups, like I go to a 10 p.m., so it's late at night, and it's a bunch of CG kids. It's a bunch of people that are right. just chill and trying to develop spiritually, and there's none of that ego there. But in the recovery scene, it's something I've been battling. I'm like, stop with this yeah. big book, thumping, preachy, like this is how spirituality is for everybody. This is how you obtain it. Yeah. But what yeah, I think is beautiful, yeah. yeah, what's beautiful about Alcoholics Anonymous and finding spirituality through those programs as a recovering addict is they're based on action rather than thought. Yeah, And uh, basically what I've learned is actions speak louder than words. And that's how I've kind of found a lot of my spirituality is simply doing the next right thing. Like spirituality, I feel like it's so simple a five-year-old could get it. And actually I think yes. five-year-olds get it. They get it better than adults get it. I actually think yep. they're we've degressed and we've gotten face of more challenges that kids don't have. They're profound spiritual uh, teachers, little kids. Yes, they are for yeah. sure. I think it's as simple as – if someone's drowning and I'm at the capacity to help them, I help them. That's it. That's like the whole purpose of my channel. Yeah. Yeah. I do it because it's the right thing to do. And that's but I, there was, I wasn't, I was, yeah. yeah, I wasn't always like that. You know, I actually used to be the opposite. I used to be very self-centered, very self-seeking. But how I got that way was through action. So in other words, when you start doing the next right thing as someone who's selfish or self-seeking, at first, it's a deliberate effort. You have to force yourself to do it. Mm. I, I made amends to a Dollar Tree for s- stealing candy bars. That was one right thing I did because it was the right thing to do. I used to was steal I was walking in? I yeah, was I was walking into the I'm Dollar Tree about. like everything with Pokemon cards. Yeah, Pokemon <laughs> cards. I was like, well, hold up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah, I used to like be in the front counter. This was I was young, dude. Like. 
I don't know, eight, nine, ten, between the eight ages of eight to ten. I was so obsessed with this shit. Like when I saw that shiny holographic rare Pokemon card, my whole system would just freak out. Like, ah, oh, I must have that. And so I used to like go in the counter of like these shops, and then when the clerk turned around, I'll just like start taking all these uh, those little Pokemon cards and just open them all up. It was like cool hologram, hologram, hologram. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Favorite Pokemon? I'm sorry, I was, I was a kid. Favorite Pokemon? I have a few. Blastoids comes to mind. Oh yeah. He'll be up there. Um, maybe Gengar. Uh, Zapdos. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> I'm a Diglett guy. Huh? I'm a Diglett. Uh, Diglett. <laughs> nice. The underdog, bro. Yeah, gotta keep it in the underground. <laughs> yeah. Did you like the ground Pokemon? The ground Pokemon, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I get you know, I was going into the Dollar Tree and right. everything in my mind is like, don't fucking do it. But I did it anyways. And then I, I went up to him, I said, you know, a month ago I stole candy bars. I was like a twenty three year old guy. Like I right. felt like a child. I felt so lowered <laughs> when I was going through it, but when I walked out I felt so alive and yeah. it was a deliberate effort to keep doing these things. And I kept making amends and kept doing the next right thing. I kept doing actions to let go of resentments. If I was resentful at somebody, I apologize for my part in the resentment. Even if they totally deserved it, I said, they don't have to apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, practicing honesty. Within yourself at least, you know, offer forgiveness. Yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. When yeah. I'm bored, instead of sitting there all day watching Netflix, I would be like, what service work I could do? You know, even if it's the most simple thing as going to an AA meeting or wherever and cleaning up and, you know, looking for volunteer work, looking for opportunities, helping a friend build a website, whatever I can do. Well, I had to awesome. force myself to do these actions. These actions became habit after a while. So it wasn't a deliberate effort anymore. It just was what I did naturally. This well, when your actions, yeah. Yeah, when your new habit of action, your new way of acting is completely changed, uh, your mind starts to change. You'll always be your wacky self and always have your sense of humor, but the way you think has to co-align with those actions. Mm. So I tell people with spirituality, some people need to act their way into right thinking or act their way into finding spirituality, and some people can think their way into it. And there's two different types of people. I had to act my way into it. Yes. And looking back, for me, actions speak louder than words. When you have a certain mindset that's so deeply ingrained. Like, I don't know, remember when I started to seek escapism. It might have been when I was five, six, seven years old. It's so deeply ingrained. It can't be challenged with words. It can only be challenged no. through act. Yeah. That's, that's working in the perimeters of the mind, right? Yeah. That's why, like you say, like, and I say this a lot, but it's like, it doesn't matter what you believe in or what your thoughts are or what you think you should do. It's about the actions. The consistent actions you take every day that's going to shape who you are in the long yeah. run, right? It's not what you yeah. believe, it's who you are being, who you're radiating, and that's what's really going to uh, change your reality for the better, right? How you exactly. carry yourself and how you better yourself as a person, which is, of course, subjective and different to every single person, but you just got to do what aligns with your core values. And a lot of those things include facing fears and resolving trauma which is fucking scary, right? No. I can fully understand why people want to use escapism because it's fucking, it's like they don't want to face that dragon, you know what I mean? They just want to yeah. keep doing their thing and sweep it under the rug, but it's like you're going to have to deal with it eventually. So you can either 
make a conscious decision of facing that dragon, you know, using that as a metaphor, or just let it consume you later. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you know what? The beauty of action is it's so simple. That's where it goes back to a five-year-old can get it. You're either doing or not. There's no gray area. Exactly. You know, like I, I stole yeah. from the Dollar Tree. Do they have a lot more? Was I starving and desperate for food because I was buying drugs? Yes. But uh, and then do they have millions of dollars and probably wouldn't notice it? Yeah. Yes. But the bottom line is I did something wrong. You knew it was I'm not wrong. taking yeah. – yeah, it's wrong, black and white. And uh, I'm not taking action to try to make that wrong right. Right. That, and then whatever. you're stealing. Because like I, like I said, I used to steal a lot until I think maybe to the age of 13. That's when I stopped completely. I couldn't, like physically, I couldn't do it. I actually felt bad. I'm like, and I thought something was wrong with me. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel bad for stealing now? But anyways, it's like the, even the act of stealing is like you're recreating this reality of scarcity in your life, right? You're mm. reinforcing to your unconscious, I don't already have this. And that's mm -hmm. the trap with a lot of spiritual practices. Like if you think you need to do this specific practice, you're already shooting yourself in the foot and reinforcing into your unconscious mind that you don't already have that. And I'm sure you've had this experience with psychedelic trips that we already have what we need eternally. You know what I mean? Like we can always yeah. tap back into that thing that drives you, which is going to be different for everybody but you've got to find it and that you can find meaning and purpose to your life. And it doesn't have to be this grand thing. You know, we always think like, Oh, I've got to change the world and do these massive things. And like, again, it goes back to the little things you do every day is being a better person. Don't lie. If you need, if you feel the need that you need to resolve something, resolve that. You know, if you stole something mm -hmm. from someone and you feel bad, let them know, you know, if you need, yeah, if you yeah. need to give someone do that. It's just those little things. It's so simple. It doesn't mean it's easy, but, no. uh, it's simple but not fucking easy exactly yeah it's so simple but it's been crucial to my spiritual development and uh i tried the whole thinking approach and that works for some people they could think their way into it but for me i just couldn't like you know and i think that's just, just how deeply ingrained it was in me i was like i have to take action so with psychedelics when whenever you get something from a trip i, I tell people all the time i'm like it's not the experience it's what you bring back mm. because if it's just the experience then, okay, you saw this, you had this big revelation and all these cool things happen. You know, you had a difficult experience, whatever it is, you come back and then, you know, you keep it at the thought capacity and you never really do anything. Mm. And it's like, okay, what was the point of that? What purpose did that serve in the long run? You know what I mean? And then those thoughts, they fleet away. So like, you know, a good example is uh, on a psilocybin trip, I what they do is they exaggerate emotion. So like you could be depressed under the surface, be aware of it, and you could try everything in the book. You could try therapy, you could try this, that, and the other, but you can't identify what it really is because it's so underlying, the mm. depression. Well, on a psilocybin experience one time, it exaggerated that depression, that emotion to where I could see it. And when I saw it, I could see the source of it. And it was so simple. It was that I didn't keep my word to other people mm. or myself. It's as simple as that. And um. You know, it, our word kind of, it, it's very, it's more important to us than we realize. So when I say, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to help you out on Friday, but then Friday comes along and then it's time to do that thing. And then I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I make up some excuse and lie and, to get out of it. Or I just don't answer my phone at all. Yeah. Like that wears down on you. Well, yeah. the psilocybin made me realize that when I came out of the experience, 
I could have just kept it out of thought. Wow, I need to keep my word more and continue doing the same crap I was doing. Mm. Or I could actually take action. And that's what's critical. I could go back and call those people I didn't keep my word with and apologize to them and ask how I can make it right. Can I make it up to them? You know, and I think with psychedelics in general, it's so critical that what you bring back out of that experience translate into actions you can actually see and carry with you that can become habits because habits of thoughts are it's a trip it's a tricky subject because thoughts they kind of waver and they can regress back really fast but habits of action they tend to in my experience be more solid yeah and in their foundation because thoughts are like they're not even ours to begin with i don't think (laughs) (laughs) and then what radio signal you are kind of transmitting is going to affect the quality of thoughts that come in that's where emotions come you know like let's say if you're having all these fucked up depressive thoughts people usually try to solve it by the level of the mind how can i think Mm -hmm. my way out of this when it's like no you got to work on your emotional state because that is the fundamental thing that is affecting those fucked up thoughts right Mm -hmm. it's not like you know what i mean like you're not feeling shit because the world is fucked up you're feeling shit because your emotional state is in despair or shame or whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. With I, with ayahuasca, when I came out of it, I kept using for a week afterwards. But the thought, like it literally raided my thoughts so hardcore that it was hard to use. Like like I said before, you know, it altered my perception to such an extreme. I didn't see using as a normal state of existence anymore. I didn't understand it. So when I used, it just didn't have the same effect on me anymore. There wasn't really much of a high. A week goes by, I decided to take action. I went into detox. I went into residential inpatient. I went into sober living, started going to meetings, started taking action. But that all translated from the ayahuasca experience. So like, in a way, I'm biased towards them, (laughs) you know, biased towards psychedelics. They help save my life. It's not like that for everybody. It can be very dangerous. But that's why when I looked at my videos, I was like, I am being a little bit biased in here. You know what I mean? We're always going to have hard, some level not... of bias to things that we yeah. do anyway. And even the word be objective is fucking... <laughs> There's no such thing as... You can't be objective and perceive that through this human mind kind of thing. I don't know. It's like yeah. you can't really... There's no Objectivity is an illusion. There's no such thing. You can be as like unbiased as you possibly can and try to be objective so like all these different people agree with what you're seeing and you attack it in all these different angles but how can you be objective if you're perceiving through a mind which is subjective so it's like it's a weird thing you know yeah and it's funny that you bring that up because for a long time i said i'm going to give you an unbiased objective approach to how i perceive these then one of the guys in the comments said pretty much exactly what you just Uh, said And from then on, I was like, I'm going to share with you my subjective experience. Yeah, that's and, why uh, I've changed my language around it because I used to say the same thing. So now I say <laughs> I try to be unbiased because as soon as you say I'm being objective, I'm being unbiased, boom, spiritual ego. That's fucking all ego. Yeah, thing. learning those things. And I think that sharing <laughs> the sub- subjective experiences, it's something so important, not just to the public, but to the medical field. And I've even had people from the medical field contact me and talk about it and say, you know, you know, in college or whatever, they were exposed to the neuroscience, the psychology, this, that, and the other. And they're like, it's refreshing to, you know, as a doctor, be able to see the subjective experience that you had so that I could better understand my patients. And I've gotten a lot of thank yous for that. Or universities will show my videos to their class or ask for permission to. I'm like, I'm like, that's cool. Counselors will hand it out. But it's because that there's so little 
out there that provides a subjective experience. And that's why, you know, channels like yours and, you know, Psych Substance and all these other channels out there are such a benefit to not just society, but to the medical field to furthering our understanding as a whole. So it's like, I'm very grateful that these channels exist. And I want to keep pushing this movement because this is where I found my passion. And this is something that needs to be out there. Yeah, man, exactly. And it's like, you have to honor the subjectivity. Like, you know, it's so easy to brush it aside, but it's all we have. So if anything, it's probably more important <laughs> to study yeah. the subjective mind than it is like objectivity, whatever that means. But again, we can try. I'm, say, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. It's very important to, you know, like secular, like materialist science and all that kind of stuff, but it's not the end all be all. And that's only understanding one dimension of reality. So, but yeah, man, um, I just want to actually get into your story, like, how, you know, how you got into starting this YouTube channel and like your road yeah. to recovery and stuff. Really yeah. So, so I was a meth addict, heroin. I was a poly addict. My drug of choice was meth. Um, what was I'm writing a meth that kind of. Oh, God. The sex. <laughs> I'm very open with that. Yeah, I, I mean, can, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. So, but like, not to get too graphic, but I'd watch certain types of videos for seven days and nights on end, Ooh, nonstop, okay. right. even longer. And I'd be in like that was one of the biggest appeals of it: the euphoria, the route of administration, the ritual, the even the group that you're rolling with. You feel like you're some kind of young thug because you're rolling with a bunch of tweakers that have guns and everything all throughout the car. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. just there's such an appeal of darkness to it, and it was so alluring, along with the feeling that it gave me. I've tried pretty much everything. Uh, I was also into IV heroin usage, and um, I almost died multiple times. I should have been arrested multiple times, uh, driven off a bridge on ecstasy before and shit like that. Um, I'm writing a book right now, actually, and I'm talking about my story. It's autobiography mixed with, you know, the drug education part. Uh, and when I was yeah. writing it, I was, I was like, at the end of it, I was like, how am I alive? Like right now, I'm 170 pounds. And in my addiction, I was 90 pounds. And I wow. remember like, yeah, I looked yeah. like a Holocaust survivor. I don't have any pictures. And I was picking at my skin. One time I thought that uh, there was like these alien lice that were in my hair. And then they went in my ears and were implanting eggs. And, um, you know, one time I thought aliens were coming. So I called like literally uh, I spent days upon days calling numbers to warn them aliens were coming. Uh, I thought that like, my like, ex put like, a hit out like on me. Yeah, meth psychosis. And then with heroin, I had multiple overdoses. One time I had an overdose on morphine. I actually had to be resuscitated with Narcan and the pads and everything. So, I mean, like, literally I was writing this. I was like, how am I alive? And then um, the day I decided to get sober, like, I really saw the whole existence as a bottom. I was waiting for one thing to happen to trigger my sobriety, just one singular event. And, uh, I, you know, people talk about your bottom and that's how I envisioned it. And I was like, all right, it's going to happen someday, someday. And I was waiting for it. Uh, but one day I was just like done. And I don't know how else to describe it. I kind of saw the whole existence as a bottom and I was just done. And I took all the steps to get sober. I decided to take action. You know, ayahuasca played a part, I think, in that decision because that was a week prior to. Um, so I took all the action and I found my solution uh, a lot of where I found it was in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, not so much the meetings. So when people talk about AA, they're like, oh, I went there. I don't like it. And I'm right. like, it's a 12-step program. Like it's not a meeting. Yeah, I like the 12-step like yeah. program. And I got healthier. I started feeling better. And I was about like maybe three years sober. 
And I was sitting there and I'm like, okay, I've been sober three years. I'm kind of here more to give than to get. Like I'm waiting. And we were all old timers. We were all sober like five years, 10 years. Mm. And we were waiting for newcomers to come in the door. And I said to myself, why are we just sitting here waiting? I mean, why do they have to come in this room for our help? And I get the anonymity thing, but I was like, you know what? They're on the internet. I'm going to go on the internet and just see what I can do. And uh, that's kind of how the whole thing started. And uh, I got really into uh, also rapping. And uh, I'm a digital marketing specialist, which means I help businesses grow online in various platforms. So I kind of knew what I was doing with keyword analysis and nice. stuff like that. Yeah, It was a long build. It took a couple, it took years. And then, uh, you know, it got to where it was today. And, um, you know, one thing I do different is, you know, put out my number for people to reach out to me. And, uh, you know, help people, help addicts on a one-on-one. I don't charge them any money. Uh, I maintain their anonymity. They can reach out to me on all these platforms. I even developed an app that's a shameless protocol, and it's a website. And it's meant to be a social media that is where people like Facebook knows your face. It knows your name. Yes, they have these recovery groups, but someone could screenshot that shit and send it off to somewhere. You don't, you aren't really safe on Facebook. So we just know a username, an email. That's it. Um, we do know the IP address. That's just to protect us so that we could ban people. We could ban IP addresses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's meant to be anonymous for people to reach out. So it's meant to get rid of the stigma. And, uh, you know, we have like things like something for Kelly. Uh, she's thinking about coming in and bringing up more of an eating disorder side because there's a lot of negative stigma. So it's meant to be a safe place for addicts to connect because when the YouTube channel went up and I'm getting a hundred texts a day, I was like, this is more than I can handle. I was, yeah. This needs to be a community effort. And I said, well, it can't really be on Facebook because there's no anonymity. I was kind of thinking of the platforms and how I'd go about it. I was like, screw it. I'll just make something myself. Uh, so then it, it's it's become kind of like my calling and mission and purpose. But looking back at it all, it's just, it's literally insane. Like I remember, I remember coming back from my overdose and I tried to grab the nurse's ass. That was the first thing I did. And I was like telling the doctor all the drugs they did. And it was like this very long list. My mom starts crying. I start laughing at her. Like I was just so twisted up in the head. And I was also in a relationship for like almost eight years. And it was sickly codependent. I had like borderline oh, personality shit. disorder. Yeah. Uh, she left me. I tried to commit suicide. I was admitted to a psych ward. And um, yeah, but it's like, you know, all this shit was just so crazy. And looking back at it all and now like, I work full time as a digital marketing specialist at a software development company, which, you know, before I was like a cashier at Sam's, I never got a college degree. Uh, I'm doing all these things. I'm doing the rap music and, uh, you know, the story I feel like I want to get out there to let people know that this is possible for anyone. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the, as long as you take the right action and honestly, all the outside stuff, like the channel, the job, all that stuff is really merely a reflection of how I developed on the inside. Uh, when, whenever someone changes on the inside, the outside will have its thing, but it's really like the side salad, mm. the real like four course meal is the spiritual awakening and the spiritual changes that you see. And, uh, looking back at my drug use, it's almost like looking at another person and it's, mm. it's, it's actually really creepy and really trippy. And even before my drug use, like I said, things influenced me to use. So before that, I didn't really think highly of myself. I didn't really have that self-esteem or that yeah. spirituality. So like I felt better with recovery than I felt in my whole life, including my youth before drug use. 
And uh, that's something that I want to get out to the public. I want people to know it. And it's like, I just want them to know that it's there. I don't want to push it on them. I don't want to say you have to do this. But I just didn't ever comprehend that this was possible, that you're, you could change this much in a positive light. So I think sharing it with the public and spreading this awareness is super critical, especially in the times we're in. Well, it's so amazing what you've done, man. And it's like, yeah, sure, you, you go through like these hard, really hard, dark times, but it's a good opportunity to like shine the torchlight and lead other people out to, who are like yeah. going through a similar thing. So, yeah, it's really inspiring to see you, like, transcend this whole situation and, like, using it for good. And because yeah. it's very easy to fall into despair and hopelessness and, like, we're all fucked, what's the point? And that's when oh, shit just downward spirals really quick. Um, yeah. But there is, and again, I'm, fuck, I'm saying a lot of cheesy stuff in this podcast, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel if, you are vigilant and have to keep going. That's the thing. You've got to break through it. Yeah. Fucking a lot easier said than done, but you can do it. And that's why it's important to get, you know, like mentors or a tribe or, you know, talk to people who've kind of gone through what you've gone through. So it's very easy yeah. to feel disconnected and convince yourself that you're alone, but you're not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what like helped you? Like, uh, was it hitting the rock bottom thing that kind of shook you to the core that, catalyze this road to recovery or was it like like what helped you along this journey to maybe not what helped you quit in the first place but maybe the things that helped you to stay clean and on purpose the main thing i think the number one thing was act don't think especially in early sobriety uh mm -hmm. being an aa like it's not for everybody but i will say having other people around who are like-minded and not doing it alone makes it a lot easier it's already really hard to do it by yourself so yeah in early sobriety, I think making those connections was critical, having those friendships. Even if I would go to meetings and not talk to anybody and sit in the corner, I was at least doing something. Uh, you know, and it, it was continual action because my decision making was flawed. My best mm. decisions got me into the worst situations. My decision was to have fun every day and look how that turned out. You know what I mean? Mm. So uh, I just started to actually put my life in other people's hands, whether that be a social worker, a counselor, a sponsor. And I just did exactly what they told me to do. Now, the willingness to do that is a lot coming from the bottom, uh, from the darkness I was in and realizing I didn't want that anymore. And like I said, when a singular event, I think my ex leaving me was the worst thing to happen in, in the way I perceived it and how time. much emotion... Yeah, because it's not what happens to us. It's how we react to it. I've, I've met people that have been in prison multiple times for over 20 years. And they're like, eh, prison's another day. And, you know, but for me, like when my ex left me, it was traumatizing. So someone could say, oh, his girlfriend left him. Big deal. Well, he went to prison. That really sucks. But the reality is it's how we respond to right. it. Right. Like you know what I mean? Relative, yeah, it's relative. So I, th I think pain is like the touchstone to spiritual growth. Yeah. Uh, cause even then when I was taking action, it was very painful. And it's like you said, with that conditioning, with working out at the gym, Yeah. uh, yes, it was very painful, but I went through it anyway. And a part of it was just like, I had tried so many drugs in my life. I was like, I just want to give recovery a solid shot one time. If it doesn't work out, the drugs are always going to be there. But the thing with drugs is recovery is not always going to be there. You can die, you can end up in prison. So many bad things can happen. But if you get recovery and, uh, you're sober, like, 
a year and you're like, you know what? This really isn't for me. I'm going to go back to smoking meth. Yeah. The meth's still there. You're good, man. <laughs> like, if you keep on the meth, recovery is something that if you don't act now, it might not be there tomorrow. But it's like, uh, it's funny with drugs because it's like, at the start, they act as your best friend, but then they fucking turn on you. Yeah. <laughs> in the long run. Love hate relationship to the core, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you, you know, we were talking about before about the whole nature of addiction. It's not just limited to substances or even, like, of course, something like meth and heroin, like what you've gone through is like fucking intense, right? And mm -hmm. it's a hardcore substance, especially when you do it continuously. But you can get just as addicted to other things that other people wouldn't consider addictive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I have to like, say this, dude. Yeah. Separate. Addiction is pl addiction is placed in a box, and yeah. and that and you're either an addict or you're not, yeah. and that's how it. Is. But addiction is like depression. Yeah. Everybody is an addict. Every fucking person in the world is an addict. Exactly. That will fight this until I die. Uh, some people struggle with it more than others. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And some people have tried to conquer their addiction. They can't, or try to get better from their addiction, and they end up getting worse. And they need help. They need outside help. Yeah. And that's okay. It's no different than someone suffering from depression saying, I've tried to get better on my own. I've exercised, ate healthy, socialized. I can't. This is a physical problem. I need outside help. So they go see a doctor. Yeah. But it's like society has decided that addiction's in this box and you're either an addict or you're not, even though everybody struggles right. with it Which to some degree. Which creates more separation from something yeah. that everyone uh -huh. goes through anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody has a time in their life where they're winding down and, you know, basically obsessed with video games or Netflix. eating. Yeah. And like some people, you know, they psych themselves out of it and it's just a phase and they're cool and they go on, you know, and then some people don't. And they ask, and I don't think that they should be ashamed of it. And I don't think addiction should be placed in a box. No. It's, it's literally something all society struggles with at some point in their life. Yeah, 100%. It's like, um, I don't know, and maybe you can, like, and there are things as, like, good addiction, I would say, things like being addicted to helping others, you know? Yeah. It's a valid thing. It gives you a chemical release and a feel-good chemical in your in your body and all that kind of stuff, so maybe. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that's an important part of, like, the recovery process is kind of, having something else to occupy that time, like a healthy kind of... Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah. finding what those things are, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, I think obviously doing the next right thing is really important, taking that kind of action. But if that's all you're doing, then you're turning recovery into this boring thing. And it's not boring. I tell people I didn't get sober to be miserable. I no, got sober to be happy. You play and have so, fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, you got to go out and find your hobbies. Maybe even at, at these meetings, we would uh, play cards against humanity a lot. Uh, some we did for fun, go bowling. Uh, now, like, I explore hobbies. I recently got into shooting, so I go to the shooting range nice. and do sh bullseyes, and I race nitro-powered RC cars, and I do rap music, and I, I do things to, for entertainment as well. And yeah. uh, when you get sober, it's like I've tried so many different hobbies and interests and stuff, and uh, I realized that my whole life was literally locked into this one substance this is how i have fun this is how i have friends this is everything mm. but you take that substance away and it's almost like being reborn again it's like being that kid that hits summer vacation and they could do whatever they want with their time that's exactly what it feels like so now you're at the capacity to explore the world and you're like wow there's so much stuff out there i didn't even know existed even youtubing that was something i did because i was like this entertains my mind this is fun this is different 
part of it was a cause to help, but there was also part of it of this is not me just sitting there all day, bored as hell. I'm actually out there learning about cameras, doing stuff, doing camera exactly. work. Creatively expressing <laughs> yourself. Exactly. And I you know I urge that for anybody in recovery to know that sobriety is actually more much more interesting than my addiction was. Yeah. Uh, in my book, I go over these whacked out stories that sound really crazy and exciting and interesting, but nah, in reality, it wasn't worth the consequences. It just really wasn't worth it. Whereas in recovery, I could share my entertainment with other people and it makes sense. Like I could share my happiness, you know, in addiction, it's like, why are you happy? I'm happy because I just smoked a gram of meth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you know, it, it's just, that's an illusion. Maybe you're manic. You have a manic episode triggered by drug use. And that's it. But that's not really a valid reason to be happy. Today, why are you happy? I'm happy because I was able to help somebody with something that they really needed. Okay, well, how did you help them? And then I share with them. And then they're like, well, maybe I can help people too. And that's where you're kind of growing. You're sharing your happiness with other people. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good note to end on, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you have a really inspiring story, and I just dig what you do. We should definitely continue this collab in the future for sure oh yeah, I think there's, yeah like, man. there's so many other uh like rabbit holes we can go down i'm just like trying to keep it at a decent kind of length yeah for sure man it was cool. awesome talk yeah for sure man like what is there anything that you'd like to plug or point uh people direction to you uh i guess my channel and that's uh also have a, yeah i do have a uh you know website and a uh, Facebook group. I actually like the Facebook group because I, when I go live, I get wild and people kind of see the fun of recovery. Like I'll be doing prank calls galore. Oh, really? And I'll, I'll even have people calling in and they're prank calling me and it's so much fun, dude. Like like prank calling condom sense and saying their vibrator gave me herpes and shit and just keeping straight face live. And then like people will be prank calling me and it's such a community thing and there's I'm trying to answer all questions and uh. And then, you know, someone will call in who's actually struggling and stuff gets real. And we're like going from like laughing and I'm putting condoms on my head and I'm doing these prank calls to this kid calling me. I'm coming off of heroin. I'm struggling. And then everybody in the comments is like, shit just got real. Shit just got real. Let's be supportive. It is just it was Making so much fun. I got to join the next Yeah, <laughs> it was so fun. But see, the thing is, if YouTube censorship, I got to be careful because someone could call in and totally encourage dangerous activity. But yeah. uh, that's why I'm kind of pushing the Facebook group. I mean, if that gets shut down, whatever. But I'm I'm doing the lives on there. And the then... disclaimers, they can save you a lot of the time. Not all the time, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just the channel primarily. Yes, yeah, sick, man. Well, um, I'll put all those links in the show notes below where people can connect with you. Um, well, apart from that, man, thanks for coming on. I'd love to have you on again uh, for a future podcast. There's some things that oh. I wanted to go down, which you didn't have time for. But that's okay. It's all good. I'm happy with it. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. I love talking to you, man. It's very insightful, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. Likewise, brother. All right. All right. Peace, guys. All right, man. Peace.